0: Hey Funky Junkie, welcome back to the chat box. Today's a special episode because we have our Chief Curl Officer Renee Morris joining us on the chat box.
1: Hey Renee. Hi, Shayla. Long time. I'm so glad to be here. It's been a minute. We've had a great summer, and I am looking forward to the chat today.
0: Hey, Funky Junkie. <laughs> yeah, we're so excited to have you here. So, over the years, you know, at Uncle Funky's daughter, she's some remarkable milestones. I mean, with our products now gracing the shelves of 10 esteemed retailers and including our latest launch at Sally Beauty, I'm sure funky junkies and small business owners out there are eager to learn how you made it happen, Renee.
1: Well, I think most people know our story, right? But I'll tell it again in case people don't. So, And, and we've had some temporary staff here and someone asked me my story. So I'll tell it again today. I did not. Start Uncle Funky's Daughter. I actually bought the brand from a husband and wife team that were living in Houston about almost 10 years ago. I cannot believe it. And so I was a consumer of the product. So I'd moved to Houston 15 years ago. And or almost 15 years ago, and when I first moved to Houston, I had curly hair, of course, natural hair, and like most black women, you look for hair products. And when you move to a new city, you need to figure out where you're going to get your stuff from. And, and back then, finding natural hair products was not the easiest thing. They weren't gracing all the shelves of Target and CVS, Walgreens, HEB like they do today. So I Googled, and this brand Uncle Funky started came up, and they there was a store in Rice Village in Houston. Um, That's an area town near Rice University. They call it Rice Village. And so I go over there and I try this product called Extra Butter. And it worked fabulously for my hair. So much so that every time I, I jokingly say, every time I tried to quit Extra Butter, I had to come back. So I would, uh, you know, and and quit not purposefully, but I did a lot of traveling because then I was a management consultant. So I would fly out of town. And I would always forget my hair products, hence the reason why we have travel sizes because I am that girl. But I would always leave my hair products at home and I'd have to go to Walgreens or the Corner CBS store in New York and find some hair products. And I would try, you know, the products that were available at the time. I won't put any brand names out there in Front Street, but they did not work for my hair. My hair looked crazy. I would You know, two strand twisted at night, it would look crazy the next day, or it looked cute in the morning. And by the end of the day, it looks dry. And so I was like, oh my God, where's my extra butter? And I literally, I didn't use curly magic, I only used extra butter. It was just, it was my (laughs) go-to. Yeah. And so when Uncle Bunky's daughter became available and I heard that the husband and wife were getting a divorce, and I was thinking about you know selling a company I immediately jumped on the opportunity I was actually still working as a management consultant and I had just had the twins and I wanted to get off the road I wanted to stop traveling back and forth and just be able to be home and you know I always had this entrepreneur bug and I knew that you know I had this knack for finding things that were broken and fixing them and Uncle Funky's daughter had an opp- huge opportunity to, for growth They were, it was this great product. We had no national distribution at the time. And, but there was some underground brand awareness, right? And so that's what I really loved about it. And so, if you were a true hardcore naturalista, you knew about Uncle Funky's daughter, you knew about Curly Magic and Extra Butter. So, anyway, I I brought the company. And when I bought the company, literally everything that I, we owned was in a public storage room, like this small little public storage room. And I remember going in there with all of this stuff and it was everything from clothes because they, they had a clothing store and a hair product store and a salon in the back of the hair product store. I mean, it was everything up under the sun. It was like clothes, it was mannequins, it was hangers, it was hair products, labels. It was all of this stuff, knickknacks, necklaces, jewelry. You know, like It was just everything. And I was just like, oh my God, but it was still small enough inventory where it could still fit in a single bay public storage room. And so the first thing I did was rent a space, a warehouse space. And I moved us into this 2,500-square-foot building, and then we launched into Target. And then we were doing great. We moved in this 5,000-square-foot building, and then we launched into CVS, Walgreens, Kroger, HEB, and a bunch of other stores and now we're in this building that we own. Yay! And so it's been a it's been a great ride, but it's been a hectic one. And I know you got questions, but that's kind of a little bit of the, the story behind how we've grown over the years. And I would say we've really grown, I call it measured growth because I am a former consultant and I am a former accountant by training DU, Dillard University. And I'm a little bit of a conservative. I'm not that person that's just like, oh, we're gonna put it all every, you know, we're gonna put it our products everywhere we can, and then we'll do our best to make sure that we can, we can supply it. I'm more of the let's make sure we can meet the demand, and then we'll take one retailer at a time. We're not gonna grow too fast. So I, we've had more of a measured growth compared to some of the other brands who had more of a hockey stick approach. But there are pros and cons for both sides, and we can talk about a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, so I I just want to say I hadn't heard that part of the story about the storage unit. I mean, (laughs) that's crazy that it started so small and now, years later, we're at where we're at. So that's amazing. Um, But I I do want to get into these questions to help out some of our maybe small business owners that are trying to get into retail stores. And I would love to know what's the crucial first step for business owners aiming to get their products into a national retail store?
1: Well, I think the... First thing I would do is two things. One, make sure that you've got a strong brand awareness on social media, because that's the first place that the retailers are going to look nowadays. What's your following? What's your engagement? Who are you as a person or a brand? And what's your story? What's your brand story? And so make sure that that's right and tight. And then the second thing is, if you think you're ready, make sure you've got the working capital to build the inventory to supply the stores on a continual basis. The worst thing that you wanna do is launch in a retailer like a Target and not be able to stay on the shelf because you don't have inventory. Because they will, for lack of a better word, cut you. Meaning they will take your products off the shelf if you cannot supply them the inventory. Because a blank slot on the shelf means lost revenue for them and for you, frankly, as a small business owner. So I would say, one, before you go into a Target, Kroger, H-E-B, Walgreens, CBS, make sure that you've got a strong social media presence because they're going to use that as a proxy for brand awareness and uh, how much traffic you can draw into the store. A retailer is looking to see if you can draw new traffic, incremental revenue into the basket as they're considering you taking a slot that's what they call them, a slot on the shelf. And so those would be the two things i think about, brand awareness and working capital to make sure you've got inventory.
0: You talk about uh, brand awareness, especially on social media. So maybe uh, sh- share some tips with us on, like in such huge retail stores like Target and H-E-B that have a numerous amount of competitors, hair care products, how do you entice customers to choose Uncle Funky's daughter?
1: Well, I should be asking you that question, Shayla. <laughs> Y'all don't know, but that's part of Jayla's job.
0: Yeah, it's a whole
1: machine. It's a whole machine. I think so. One of the things that, that we do as a company, and Shayla, you can probably articulate this way better than I can. But one of the things we do is we stay, try to stay top of mind in the eye of the, of the consumer, so that when she goes into the store and she sees our brand, it's oh yeah, that's the brand that I love. You also want to create what they call, from a marketing perspective, stickiness. So what is it about your brand? What is it about Uncle Funky's daughter? What is it about Curly Magic? in terms of the delivery and the value it brings to the customer that makes her only choose that product over others. And so what we try to do is make sure that we're making, one, quality products that work, (laughs) number one. And that's why it takes us forever to get new products in the market. We just don't put a new fragrance on something and call it a new product. But we want to create products that create value for the customer, that have a differentiating selling point. And so we have a slower Uh, product launch timeline than most companies. But that said, when we do launch, we spend a lot of time on educating and creating awareness of how to use our products, where to use our products, um, what system, how to use our products as a system. Sometimes on social media, people use our products with other products as a system. And that's okay too. But you want to make sure when she goes into the store, she's got some level of stickiness or affinity for your brand. She's got some brand awareness. And sometimes if you're trying to create trial, maybe it's you're doing it by running a promotion. And so when we're first launching into like a Sally Beauty, I mean, we want people to see that we're on the shelf and notice that, oh, this is, oh, Uncle Funky's daughter's here. What, what? We may do something like do an in-store event or do a promotion in the store, on the shelf, offer a coupon. And then the last thing that we do from a marketing standpoint is we leverage influencer content. And so Influencers are such a strong part of the marketing strategy today. Many consumers are aware that some of them are paid, some of them are not. We have some can some um, influencers, we just say, hey, here's some product for free and they'll make a video. They try our products, they love it, they make a video with it. And some others, we may pay them a, a service fee for creating a video on our behalf. And so it's a combination of a lot of different activations from a marketing standpoint and you've got to hit all of the cylinders all at the same time. You can't do one thing and think that one thing is going to work. If you think about a big circle, it's a big circle and there's a piece of pie that represents a certain aspect of your marketing and you've got to have the whole pie. You can't take a slice. You need the whole pie and you can't let any of those balls drop. So I would say that's one of the things that that smaller brands tend to forget about, especially when money gets funny and budgets get tight, you might decide that you want to allocate resources in other areas. But you also have to, and we talk about this a lot of times in our marketing meeting, you also have to keep abreast of what's working and what's not, right? So we often, and and Shayla can speak to this again better than I can, but we often have to pivot because we may try something and it's not working as well as it used to, right? Because the markets change, the consumer preferences change, how, how she looks at, how our funky junkies see us and, and look at us and look at our content changes. And so you have to always bring fresh new ideas and new approaches to your marketing efforts. You just can't set your marketing plan at the beginning of the year and be like, oh, okay, I'm good. Oh, we're done. <laughs> so we always have to keep it fresh. And so I think that's probably one of the most interesting parts of marketing is keeping up to date on all the nuances and changes that's happening in the marketplace in terms of how our funky junkies like to receive our information, experience our products, experience our brand, that kind of stuff. Hopefully. Yeah. It your yeah.
0: It's so fast. Everything's constantly changing. Yeah. So gotta keep up with it. hmm You do. So, do you have any valuable advice for building strong relationships with distributors or the retail partners? If you are a brand and you have not gone
1: into a Target or HEB before, oftentimes the best way to do that initially is by having a relationship with a distributor. There are distributors out there. A distributor, for those who do not know, is a third party who buys your product from you at a price and then they will sell it to the retailer, national retailer on your behalf at a price. They are not the representative of your brand. That's the key thing. You know, I want to make sure that people keep in mind, but they are a valuable resource and they're not a sales rep. Let me put it, use it very clearly. You should always represent your brand because you know your brand story better than anyone else. And so as you're going and considering approaching a Target, a Kroger, even a Walmart, there's going to be a better for you, a third-party relationship involved more than likely. The reason that's the case, everybody out there, is because imagine if you're, or just walk into the store, (laughs) walk into the store of any, or down any shelf, whether you're looking at soup or you're looking at honey, or you're looking at hair products, or you're looking at lotion, shaving cream, toothbrushes, toothpaste, whatever. There are a gazillion different options out there for you to choose from, right? So if every brand were buying or servicing that retailer direct, that buyer, that's what they call the person who buys your product for you, for the retailer, would have to speak to every one of those brands on that shelf individually. That is an impossible task. For them to do so instead what they do is they have a distributor to buy the products for them and then they'll do business reviews with that distributor across a series of different brands brands that that need to have a, a business review on it and so that's the reason why the distributor takes a role it's also helpful because if it's only one skew if you only got your grade a texas wildflower honey into HEB, for example, which I buy and I love.
0: Oh, I just saw it too. You really? <laughs> Yeah, I love that one.
1: <laughs> if, you were all, if it's only that one SKU and it's only one size, you're not. it's going to be cost prohibitive for you to try to ship that to HEB directly because you're probably going to be shipping boxes and not pallets. And then the shipping costs on it, it's going to be phenomenal. So it'd be cheaper for you to ship a pallet or two to a distributor and have them consolidate your honey with the lotion and the pasta or whatever the heck it is that they're servicing for HEB, all in one shipment to HEB's warehouse. So that's a a very basic example of supply chain efficiency, right? And so it's a long story to say, (laughs) small companies need to understand what the best route to market is and understand a little bit how the supply chain works as they're starting to look into going into a retailer. The last thing, I know I'm going on and on about this because there's just so much. The the last thing that I would say as a piece of advice is know your numbers. I happen to be an accountant. I happen to have an MBA. So it's easier for me to say that because I've done numbers my whole life. But where a lot of Black-owned businesses fail is that they don't understand their numbers they don't understand the true cost it takes to put a product in the market to put a product on the shelf at target because they're not they're looking at how much revenue how much dollars they're selling it for they're not looking at the deductions or thinking about the deductions the damages charge back the promotions you're going to have to pay the marketing the, the social media marketing you're going to have to do the you know the coupon payment The freight cost it takes to move the product from your wherever you are to the distribution center, or if you're able to go direct, go direct. Know your numbers because not knowing your numbers will get you in a huge mess of trouble if you try to go into a national retailer like a Target and you don't understand how that. what the financial implications are. You may like the idea of it. The idea sounds amazing, right? I have, you know, these products in Target, but you need to understand what what it costs you to make your product, what your profit margin is before you go into Target, before you give the cut to the distributor, because the distributor isn't going to do it for free. They want margin on top of Target's margin. And so you've got to understand how much mar- how much profitability that you have and you need to have enough profitability enough gross profit in your business before you ever approach any retailer there needs to be a substantial amount of gross profit so that you can share some of that profit with target and the distributor because you're going to have to in order to get into that store right and so you by doing that you've got to understand your numbers so that would be that that's my last piece of advice
0: Wow, so you just dropped some gems. I hope that y'all are taking notes because this is free information. <laughs> so, <laughs> I hope y'all are, and y'all are taking some notes. Um, yeah. But if you have any more, could you share some obstacles that you wish you'd known or an obstacle you wish you knew before venturing into retail? And then how did you navigate it?
1: Who? I think there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was, I underestimated at times, I didn't see COVID coming. So that's the one. And so I underestimated, especially during COVID, the amount of inventory that we were gonna need to have on hand, the fact that people were gonna have to shut down. It was a, a global crisis, right? But the fact that you couldn't find plastic bottles or you couldn't find pumps, you couldn't get labels because, you know, Factories were shut down. It was just a hot mess. And so I think having the lesson, and sometimes I'm like, you haven't learned the lesson, but the lesson of having enough safety stock on hand for the business to make sure that you're a viable concern is the one thing, especially a national retailer, because I don't want to sound crass, but a lot of these national retailers didn't care that we were in the middle of a global pandemic. They were still issuing POs. Why? Because you were ordering online or you know, getting curbside pickup. And so you still wanted your curly magic. They did not care that my shipping manager had COVID. They're like, when is that pallet going to get here? And so I think managing through that was the, probably the most difficult time that we had as a business. We made it through. There's a lot of lessons that we learned along the way, which is a whole other podcast. <laughs> but I think that's probably the biggest obstacle. And I think how you overcome it is you might have to eat some profit. We did. We had to eat some profit. We had to buy bottles from people off the street that I had never even met before. <laughs> so I oh my met them online, <laughs> trust in faith that they were going to send my bottles to the right place. But because there were no bottles to be had, people were scrounging for bottles. And so it was, I mean, I think those were the things that I had to, to put in place. But being prepared to go there're going to be times where you may have to make a sacrifice and pay a little bit higher for a bottle because your supply chain's not right and that's why understanding supply chain and understanding your financials are probably the two biggest things small business owners should try to master
0: well, kudos to you for uh, making it through that in all yeah because that. <laughs> that yeah i mean you don't think about that you know when you're
1: not in it yeah, all of us. We're all here. So kudos to all of us. To yeah, be there, for sure. For sure. <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure. So Renee has, I mean, she shared some invaluable insights with us today on the chat box. And congrats to us and, of course, Renee for our exciting launch in Sally Beauty. For those of you who haven't heard the news, our best-selling moisturized products, Super Curl, we have Healing Renew, and Curly Magic are now on the shelves at Sally Beauty. And there's more. We introduced an exclusive moisture boost kit just for Sally Beauty. So I'm this sure. kit has all the travel sizes, like Renee mentioned, for the people who are on the go all the time trying to do their hair. Mm-hmm. This That's pretty. me. <laughs> <laughs> me too, honestly, when I'm not in a protective style. But of course, we couldn't have reached this without the support of our funky junkies. So go to town. Thank
1: you, Funky Junkies. We love you. I mean, we cannot do anything without you guys because you make it happen every day. If, If you're not the person going in looking for your extra butter or your super curl or looking for a travel size of Uncle Funky's daughter, we wouldn't be where we are. And so we are forever grateful for all the support and love that you show us every day.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you, Renee, for gracing us with your presence on today's episode. This is yeah. always so much fun. This is always so
1: much fun. It's a great break to kind of just chat, do the chat box, hang out with you guys. I love it. I love it. I love it.
0: Yeah. And y'all stay tuned because we have some some plans for the chat box coming up. We're coming back stronger. <laughs> so we'll be back. Oh, do you have any final tips or and you said a lot already, but
1: we are actually well over our usually 15 minutes. We just try to keep these short so they can kind of get them. So hopefully you're going on a walk instead of or you're stuck in traffic and you're yeah. able to listen to this and get to the end. But thank you guys for joining us. I love it. This is so much fun. And we will see you guys
0: soon. See you soon. Bye. Fun, thank you.